All right, here we go on a super Sunday morning in Las Vegas. I'm Brian Feldman, and coming to you live from the Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studio, this is Out of Line, and we are here every Sunday morning at 8 on Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM and 1340 AM, flagship of the Vegas Golden Knights and sister station of Raiders Nation Radio. Also here is our social media director, Spencer The Wiz Ostrovsky. And handling the big board is producer Chris Magnum Chapman, who aside from producing a number of shows at Lotus Broadcasting, also serves as the locker room reporter for the Vegas Golden Knights Radio Network and the UNLV football pre-game show host on our sister station ESPN Radio Las Vegas. We are also streaming on the LV Sports Network, and you can watch the show on Facebook Live and YouTube. The page is called Out of Line. That's O-U-T-T-A-L-I-N-E. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Out of Line Fox LV. And since we are live. Your calls and questions are welcome. The Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studio line, 702-876-1340. Hi, this is Bubby, and it's time for What's on Tap. What's on Tap, brought to you by title sponsor, Residential Bank Corp. Whether purchasing a new home or refinancing the home you already own, Residential Bank Corp is the company to turn to for all your home financing needs. Residential Bank Corp, funding America one neighborhood at a time. Call 702-964-5720 to get information on all of the home financing options currently available in Nevada. On tap, the Vegas Golden Knights win their first two games after the All-Star break and are back on top in the Pacific Division. We'll talk about some UNLV basketball and Bernie Fred. The host of the Bertie Fratto Show on Fox Sports Radio will join us to break down today's big game. Uh, that's what's on tap. If you are looking to buy a home or to refinance the home you currently own, contact Residential Bank Corp., the con- company that is funding America one neighborhood at a time. Call 702-964-5720 for details on current home financing options in the state of Nevada. Well, here we are again. I want to say, first off, every year, Mike Jones, who is famous, uh, when you got a play named after you in the Super Bowl, man, I, I think you live forever. And, of course, the play that he made was called The Tackle uh, when the greatest show on earth, which was, at that time, the St. Louis Rams beat the Tennessee Titans in the Super Bowl, and he held uh, Kevin uh, Dyson about six yards, five to six yards outside of the end zone if Kevin Dyson scores. Uh, Tennessee Titans very well win that Super Bowl. And a whole different story, Kurt Warner 0-3 in Super Bowls. Does he still get in the hall? Well... Could be, could not be, but anyways, I want to let you know Mike Jones let me know yet late yesterday he had a couple of obligations, but Mike's going to be coming on next week. We'll break down the Super Bowl. I do want to talk to him about Kurt Warner because since the last time we talked to Mike, a movie has come out about Kurt Warner, and so be kind of interesting. Uh, I, want, I, I haven't seen the movie yet, and I want to see it because I wonder if at all uh, Mike Jones was, was called attention to in that movie at all. I said I was kind of disappointed in Kurt Warner's uh, Hall of Fame speech that he didn't thank Mike Jones because, again, if Mike doesn't make that tackle. 0-3 in the Super Bowl, a late start to an NFL career. Um, it it, it kind of makes Kurt Warner borderline Hall of Fame material. Well, the thing with Kurt Warner is he, he went 1-2, and two, but it was really close to being 3-0. and oh. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think the Kurt Warner story to me, and, and like you, I haven't seen the movie. I'd like to. Um, I always liked Kurt Warner. I, I, I thought he was an amazing human being uh, on and off the field. So like it's one of those things that that I'm just like curious to to see how they how they get it but yeah I mean it's one of those movies where you wonder how factually accurate they get a lot of things um but yeah I mean I wonder 
And and yeah, you're right. I mean, he 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 was very close because if Dyson breaks that tackle, the Titans win that Super Bowl. Um, and and it's funny, right? The Rams they they've won the Super Bowl in two different cities, like the Raiders. Yeah, now. It's, it's it's really and when the Ra- when the Raiders win one here, they'll <laughs> they'll have won one in three cities. So um, let's hope that's sooner rather than later, but not not before my Jets though. Well, or before my Lions, for God's <laughs> sakes. And, uh, but yeah. no, Kurt, Kurt Warner, uh, you know, a very compelling story. We've all heard variations of it. Again, I do want to see the movie to see how accurate it is. I've read so much about the guy because it's such a compelling story uh, to play at a small school like Northern Iowa. You know, you're playing in the, uh, the um, I used arena. to watch f- those games. On, on, like, Friday night, they would have them. Like Northern Iowa? The, no, no, no. The, the, the arena football oh, games. Iowa Barnstormers. Yeah, and yeah. I remember and, they'd play, like, the, the Miami Hooters. Well, what's crazy is, too, he played behind Jake DeLome in Germany for the, I can't think what, the Galaxy right, right, or something. Frankfurt Galaxy? Yeah, I think yeah. they were the Frankfurt Galaxy, and he played behind Jake DeLome, who also quarterbacked in a Super Bowl and lost against Tom Brady, nearly 1-1 for the He Carolina almost 1-1 too, yeah. But, uh, you know, Kurt, Kurt Warner, great story, and I think he does still make the haul as well because, you know, when he was an afterthought, he rejuvenated his career with the Arizona Cardinals. When yeah, he, he went there He went there basically to sit behind Matt Leinert and kind of teach him, kind of like what he did in New York with Eli Manning yeah. when Manning stepped in. And that's what he was there for. Whoa. And uh, Leinert is a complete bust. And what does Warner do? He steps in and takes the Arizona Cardinals to, at this point, their only Super Bowl. The idea that the Arizona Cardinals have made a Super Bowl in our lifetimes when they're one of the worst organizations in the NFL. Before the Detroit Lions yeah. made a Super Bowl. Like, you know, the funny thing is, I think a lot of people forget that that Giants team that Kurt Warner was, was quarterbacking, they were actually like in the playoff hunt. And they, they, they made the move. All right, Kurt, guess what? Time's up. We're going to go to Eli. And they were willing to sacrifice the season to put Eli in. Well, they in, in knew visit. he was the quarterback well, of the future. I but. think they did, but like a lot of I think a lot of teams, and I hate the Giants, but I think a lot of teams would not have been willing to make that move at the time because the Giants were right there. They they I don't think they were in the playoffs, but they were in the hunt. And they decided that, hey, you know what, it's time. And it worked out, right? Eli, Eli. Uh, put put his his son Tom Brady in his pocket twice in the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, hi son, how are you? Yeah, those two Super Bowl wins are I, definitely going to put I, Eli in the I Hall wonder, of Fame. I, which I, is crazy. I didn't see Tom Brady's retirement speech, but I hope he thanked his father Eli Manning for for <laughs> helping him along the way. <laughs> well, Eli Manning, his father, uh, also kept him from being from uh, stopping Mercury Morris from popping champagne every year. They win every single game all the way to the Super Bowl. The Giants are a wild card team, like the last team in, and they end up uh, beating the, the, the. They went on a roll, no question about it. But yeah, Eli Manning's first Super Bowl was pretty magical. Who was that? To Tom watch. Coughlin? Yeah, Tom they went, Coughlin. They went two and the, the, Tom great, Coughlin? the great helmet catch by David Tyree. Yes. I mean, that was a that was an incredible Super Bowl. And again. Uh, the 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 uh, New England Patriots were about to be the first undefeated team since Miami, and in the 16 game error, and uh, still hasn't happened yet. So. It still amazes me that that team lost. Yeah, I know, really, especially in the Super Bowl. Randy, I mean, Randy Moss, Tom I think, Brady. I think you're you just it was a, that one of those things where you look at the Giants, you think, God, this is a game we're going to win, and I think that you know the Giants buck you know hunk, hunkered down, took yeah. it more seriously than the Patriots did, and the Patriots just got outplayed. But again, well. The it was a that, close game, and it was a ridiculous catch. That catch by that David Super Tyree Bowl, though, really turned the what, game what, around. What really made the difference was the Giants' defensive line. Yeah, of course. And they put they put Tom Brady under pressure all night. And I, you know, I, I, it's one of those things where they played like a few weeks earlier before the playoffs, maybe like week sixteen. Oh, they would have crushed the Giants. And um, 
Yeah, but but they did. They played at the end of the season, and they they did beat the Giants. But I think the Giants took a lot away from that game, saying, "Hey, you know what? We can get we can get um, we can put him under pressure." Yeah, and, I just, and, and I just Brady, think the Giants flew under the radar, Chris, well, by, based on how they got in the playoffs, a wild card team yeah, that year. They, they, they kind of flew snuck under the in, radar, yeah. yeah. And uh, and and it really it, it bodes well. And and again, it's a good segue for later on talking about the defensive front of the Giants of that team because they were really exceptional and they did disrupt Tom Brady in the game. And a defensive front could be the difference in this game today. I know a lot of people are talking about it, but I don't think it's overstated. I think Philadelphia's defensive front. Will you look at it? Three of the four. Fl- defensive lineman had double-digit sacks and one of their linebackers as well. Four players with double-digit sacks. Again, we'll talk about that later on, but that's almost unprecedented. Right now, before it gets too late and before we run too deep in the show, let's go ahead and hit nightcap, Spence. Hockey players, as you know, are warriors. They don't give up. They come to play every game. It's time for Nightcap, a cup full of the Vegas Golden Knights. From highlights to interviews to special events, the puck starts here. Yeah, the puck does start here, and uh, it actually starts uh, back in Vegas for the first time in like three weeks this afternoon at T-Mobile Arena um, when uh, back in action is the Vegas Golden Knights, and it's a good way to come home after starting off after the All-Star break. You know, everyone said they had to, they had to get off to a good start, and they did. They scored well in their first game out. They've won two games in a row now, and they get to come home, and the first two games they play at home today against Anaheim, and then I I think it's Tuesday night, Wednesday, Wednesday night um, against the San Jose Sharks. Those are two really good opponents for them to kick off this homestand. And then, of course, they got a tough one coming up next weekend against the Tampa Bay Lightning. But it was nice to see them win these first two games. I think they won it well. One thing that really is impressive, and I love it, you know, all the flack, and I was even on that bandwagon of giving a, a Phil Kessel flack, saying, you know, when, when everyone's healthy, this guy might have to be a healthy scratch, and you might have to end this concern consecutive goals uh, game streak which is over a thousand now which is just incredible and unprecedented in the National Hockey League but Phil Kessel heard everyone saying it the guy's got pride he's a long-standing NHL player a solid player a future Hall of Famer and he started playing hockey he's putting the puck in the net he's gonna have double-digit goals this year again and um, you know that line right now with Stevenson and uh, and uh, William Carrier and uh, Phil Kessel is really one of the top producing lines for this Vegas Golden Knights team. Will, Will, William Carrier, every time he scores a goal, he breaks his own score, personal scoring record. And Chandler Stevenson, of course, got into the All-Star game late, but deservedly so. He's one of the guys, him and Alex Petrangelo were two of the other guys that I thought, you know, should have gotten at least a look by the All-Star team to get in. And it was nice to see Chandler get in, but he is centering what right now is maybe the most effective line on this Vegas Golden Knights team. And that's pretty Pretty exciting in itself. Uh, the one drawback, obviously, everyone saw it in the, in the, in the very uh, first moment and half of the uh, third period. We saw Logan Thompson go down with what they're calling a lower body injury. He could not put a drop of weight on that leg. He stretched out. He rolled over. You saw him right away wincing in pain on the ice. Chris, that is really scary for the Vegas Golden Knights going forward. I know Aiden Hill has had his moments where he's looked really good. He's also had moments where he's looked bad. Laurent Brossois has done a good job down in 
Jordan Henderson, but he's under 500. He is, you know, he's still letting goals in the net, although he does have NHL experience, which gives Bruce Cassidy two guys that have played at this level a decent amount of games. But Logan Thompson was really kind of the glue that was meshing this team together. An all-star goaltender, that's a huge loss right now. Yeah, obviously that it's concerning when you lose a, a, an all-star goalie. Uh, Aiden Hill is is a bit of a of to me he he he's been really good considering his role. Um, you know now it's him and Laurent Brossois for the next at least few weeks. From what it sounds like, it's going to be interesting. I don't think this team makes a move at the deadline for a goalie. I feel like they're they're confident in both guys to be able to get the job done. Look, the reality is in in a situation like this, you need your your blue line to step up. Right, you you need your you need your your good defensive forwards to play better. Yep, they need to rally around the injury and and well, they got their defense back. That's the first time they've well, had like a six and, top and to me that back. that made a very big difference. Getting Zach Whitecloud yep. and Shea Theodore back in the line in the Great. lineup. Um, look, you you know you're not going to have Mark Stone for it, it sounds like a a long time. Maybe lucky enough to get him back in the playoffs, but. You know that it sounds like, at least from what we've heard, that, that at some point Logan Thompson will be back. But for Aiden Hill and 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 Laurent Brossois, this is an opportunity. Yep. Both guys are unrestricted free agents at the end of the season. Both guys are going to want to take hold of this starting job. Both guys are playing for a contract next season. I think those bode well for the Golden Knights because it's now going to become a a real competition because I, I know Laurent Brossois has been really good down in Henderson. but He's, he's got to feel a bit slighted. But he's been pushed by a kid named Yuri Patera who every time I talk to Brian McCormick who is the play-by-play voice for the Henderson Silver Knights, he tells me how good Yuri Patera plays and how confident that kid plays. So it it may be, and you, you mentioned the other thing that, that I completely forgot about, Laurent Brossois may have a chip on his shoulder. Like, hey, you know what? Why was I I've been the number two goalie for a year yeah, and a half, why, and all why, of a sudden, why was just, I an afterthought? Yeah, so, well, you were out for a long time. Lorenzo yes, but but you know, in his in his mind, maybe he felt like he played good enough in Henderson to warrant a a look. Now he's got that look. I wonder the you know goalies are so interesting because I wonder how long it takes a guy if there's any period of time at all that it takes a guy to jump from AHL competition to NHL competition and not lose the edge that you had in the AHL because obviously there's a massive, massive leap from AHL players. I mean, not to say that they're not good. I mean, we're still talking probably the the best, you know, 30, 30, however many guys are on a roster, you know, in the world playing in the AHL, right? The AHL is, is is arguably on point. Maybe not as good as the KHL. I don't know. I don't know how you do those comparisons. But it's right there as far as the Many second or third best league in the world. these guys are NHL caliber players. Yes, yes. There, there's not a lot of scrubs yep. in the AHL. You know, I think if you're playing at that level, you're not a scrub. I know people may, may, may look differently, but my, my thought process is, look, if you're playing in the AHL, you're still a phenomenal hockey player. Yep. And the jump from the AHL to the NHL, I, I don't know how big of a leap that is, right? When you've been when you've only seen that speed for two or three months, and you've only seen those guys with the moves, right? Like there's no Connor McDavid's in the AHL, no. 
No. But there are a bunch of guys who are fringe NHL no, players. You know, you know so, in the first year of the Vegas Golden Knights, we were all, I think, surprised when Shea Theodore got sent back to Chicago, Chris. Yeah. And I remember, like I said, I've said it a few times in the show, when he got called up, which wasn't very long, it was a couple weeks he into the season. He decided he was not going and back he, down. He said to me, hey, man, Alex for, first time I interviewed the guy right out of his mouth, I'm like, you know, how happy are you to be up? He goes, oh, I'm very happy. I will never go back down. Well, that and comes boy, after a year. Love the confidence. The year before, when he was with the Anaheim Ducks yeah. organization, he basically had, you know, he, he, he had enough, well, I, I won't say frequent flyer miles, and Uber doesn't give you miles for trips taken, but he, he built up enough miles between Anaheim and San Diego to where he probably should have just bought a house somewhere in San Clemente <laughs> in the middle because it, it, it sounded like he was back and forth multiple times, yeah. whereas I don't think Loren Brossois has any interest in going back to Henderson. No. Like, I... I I don't know Laurent Brassois, but I, I would venture to guess that he has zero interest in going back to Henderson. And that's not a knock on Henderson, well, the right? They play is, in a nice arena. Chris, it's a nice place. But if Leonard doesn't, you know, go down, I mean, and, and, and uh, Brassois stays healthy, he's the number one goaltender. It would have been his job for Logan Thompson to try to take. Yeah. Let's be realistic. And, Maybe. And yeah. unfortunately, he gets hurt too. And he's gone for all that time. It gave Logan Thompson his opportunity, and he's taken full advantage well, of now it. It's Logan, now it's Laurent Brassois' opportunity yep. to take that job. And, you know, I, I, I think it's good. I, I think the competition, like I said, Brassois was really pushed by Yuri Pateri down in Henderson. And I think he's going to be pushed. Him and Aiden Hill are going to push each other. And I think they're going to make each other better. But look, the reality is the Golden Knights of the last two games, they've, they've scored five goals in each of those games. They absolutely demolish the Nashville Predators. They they blow the, the Minnesota Wild out of the Mark water. Andre Fleury got him taken out of five, the net after the second. Five-hole Fleury strikes again. <laughs> um, I felt know, bad for him, man. I don't. I, I, well, you know, it, it, you know, the point is, is he's hanging on. He's a good guy. I think, you know what? I look. think the, the Golden Knights fans really got to look at why, you know, th- Father Time is undefeated. Well, like, and, you know, I mean, look, we, we could sit here and we could both be honest and say, we really like Mark Andre Fleury. I always enjoyed my interactions with him. I think there should be a statue put up yeah. of him at T-Mobile. But Arena. you know what? At this point, he he doesn't play for the Golden Knights. So so you know what? If they if they chase him, good. Well, and, and after seeing him, I'll tell you, he's mentioned they're not going to look for a goalie in the trade deadline. You know, I've joked around in the past that that's a guy you can bring in for a veteran goaltender that's looking to make one more run at the yeah, cup. I don't think they do it. And I don't think after seeing him again, they just played against well, him. Well, I, like, I don't think they make a move no, for a goalie. I don't think they do what, either. What, but what, but my point is, the other night, he just showed them that, no, we're not. if we make a move, it's not yeah, going to be for you. Yeah. And <laughs> I mean, that's you know that's that's something. You know, and he got really upset, of course. Mark oh, Henry for good. Broke you know what? Stick, that's fine. I mean, I, he, I, I like the fire. The I like the frustrate goaltenders right now is what we need to yeah, see. Yeah, considering how 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 lack of goals was an issue yes. on the road trip, for them to come out and and really just humiliate the Nashville Predators. I mean, they have what six shots halfway through the third period. Yeah, not yeah. in a period through. Three, three, two and, three and a half periods. periods. Yeah, the, the, the Knights so, were playing so good at both ends of the ice. Yeah, the it, one thing I, I want to say, Chris, wrapping this up uh, on the Knights is, you know, this team right now. Uh, it seems like they're getting their legs a little bit. The goaltender issue, let's hope, isn't a big deal for them. But the one thing, 
it was nice to see in the last game they played in Minnesota, even though it was kind of a meaningless goal to see Jack Eichel light the lamp. He has been getting a lot of shots on net. You definitely can see his elite ability to play the game, but it's not there enough, and he's got, I hope that sco- that goal, which was like his first in like 10 or 11 games, I, I hope that goal propels him to start becoming an offensive leader in this team, because as we know, based on the surgery Mark, Mark uh, Stone had January 31st, he is definitely going to be out probably the rest of the regular season and maybe even the postseason. If he comes back, how good will he even be in the postseason? They need Jack Eichel to be the guy to step up in his place and score goals. Assists are great. Playing two ways is great. But again, he was here because of his offensive ability and his ability to lead by putting the puck in the net. That he's got to start doing like he did early in the season. He's got to do that on a very consistent basis. The next three games are at home. They're this week. Uh, they, the, again, today they're playing the Ducks. Uh, they'll play Thursday night against the, the Sharks and then Saturday will be a late night game against the Tampa Bay Lightning and uh, we'll see what happens. But They should go no worse, I don't think, than 2-1 and one this coming week and hold on to that first position in the Pacific Division of the um, Western Conference. Uh, listen, let's move on real quick, guys. Talk some UNLV basketball. About five minutes, we'll have Bernie Fratto joining the show. Um, you know, UNLV this week, they split their games. I went and saw them play the Wyoming game. Uh, they did what I thought they would do in, against Wyoming. They beat them. Um, you know, game, I, I can't say was ever, you know, out of out of question where it looked like UNLV was going to run away with the game, but UNLV, UNLV looked like they were in control of the game in the majority of the game, which they should be against Wyoming. They go to San Diego State, ranked 25th in the country yesterday, and San Diego State way ahead the majority of the game, and I'll tell you what, you, you saw a performance put on by a guy off the bench for San Diego State, Adam Seiko, man, pretty crazy. Uh, six it seems three like that pointers. guy's been there for like 15 Forever, years. Forever, hasn't he? Forever. Yeah. He, uh, not the best player on that team, but but I'll tell you what, he came off the bench, 18 points, six three-pointers. That is gigantic. He was just hitting everything. You could see the confidence. The game, the, the, game, the final score of the game, 82-71, sounds a lot was closer than a it lot was. closer than it yeah. was. That game was never in question. Uh, San Diego State almost was toying with him. It was like the Harlem they, they, Globetrotters it playing like against... It they were up pretty much 14 to 20, 20 points, points the almost entire the entire... Yeah. From, from midway through the first half on, it seemed like that was kind of the, the, the way the game was going. And Brian, look, I mean... UNLV went out and they tried to emulate San Diego State, which to me is, is, is well, I, I don't like the fact that UNLV is trying to emulate the type of players that San Diego State's bringing in. But look, the reality is this is a program that was one of the biggest jokes in college basketball 25 years ago. They took a chance on Steve Fisher and the rest is history. They've had two coaches since Steve Fisher was hired, whatever year it was, 2001. I don't even remember, but... They have been a model of consistency since basically Steve Fisher's second or third year when they made that NCAA tournament. They won the Mountain West. I believe it was in Denver. And they did that for the first time, and they ended up going all the way to the dance. And, you know, since that time, they have been the marquee program in this conference. I know UNLV made a Sweet 16 in that run. BYU was here for a while, and they were pretty good. But the reality is San Diego State is the team that everybody in the Mountain West wants to be. Nobody can seem to do what what San Diego State does. It doesn't matter if it's Leon Rice. doesn't matter if it's Kevin Kruger. doesn't matter if it's 
the guy in Wyoming, if it's Rick Patino or Ricky well, or Richard, whatever they it's call It's funny, him. though, Chris. You know, Steve Fisher was there for so long, but Brian Dutcher was always behind him. Well, so that's it's like just the it. same guy it's stepped they, right they in. Basic, and, you know, there was no drop-off. No, none. There, there's no drop-off. The same from, defensive from, mindset yeah. they've always had. And and it's it amazes me, right, when, when um, uh, Steve Alford was at New Mexico and he left and Craig Neal, Noodles, took over, right? These two guys had, had gone back to Indiana together. And the drop-off was amazing. Like, Craig Neal, compared to Steve Alford, it was like night and day as far as the quality. And and guess who's on his staff up at Reno? Craig Noodles. <laughs> Noodles Neal is, is still up there, yeah, right? Because, because they're buddies. Yeah. But the drop-off was, was ridiculous. You wondered if there was going to be the drop-off from, from Fisher to Dutcher. I think Brian Dutcher's proven that he's every bit as good of a coach. He's definitely been a great understudy, obviously, and, and you know what? I, it amazes me that there hasn't been a bigger program that has come and called for Brian Dutcher. Like UCLA or, or U. well, I mean, obviously, both of those programs were pretty stable. But, I mean, look at Cal. Cal is arguably the worst major college basketball program in the country. They haven't come knocking on 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 Dutcher's door. Washington State, these programs in the Pac-12, Oregon State, that just can't seem to to get things right. But the guy's a great coach, Brian. You know, and, I think and like Steve, Steve Fisher, Fisher. You know, I think Chris. They love it down there in San Diego. Steve Fisher was offered jobs throughout his career and never wanted to leave. He just well, loved it but, there. But Dutcher's not Fisher, right? No. You don't know. You don't know unless you ask. That's and true. I don't blame those guys. I would if, if you could put me and I'm making that type of money and I'm living in San Diego, I don't care about Cal money. I don't care about Washington State money. I'm staying in San Diego. I don't want to live in Northern California. I don't want to live in the Palouse. I want to live five minutes from Mission Beach in San Diego. Sign me up for that job. And and look, maybe that it maybe that's it, right? I want to be able to head down it's to TJ beautiful areas in the country. once in a while yeah. and, and, and and get into some some fun, but yeah, I mean those, but like going back to the Dutcher, the guy, the guy has has certainly proven he's a, he's a one of the top basketball coaches in the country. And every year, I mean, he gets he, there's always an NBA talent on that team, and every year they play with the same defensive prowess. It's the they're same one of the best thing. Yeah, they're one of the best year. defensive teams in the league. And, and every year can, in the Mountain West tournament, they are one of the teams you have to worry can, about. If they can ever find, and I know it's it's like finding a needle in a haystack, but. To me, Kawhi Leonard completely changed that program from being a nice story to a legit college basketball program. Kawhi Leonard is an NBA Hall of Famer. They just don't win in the tournament. That's their biggest well, they, problem. But, but they were, and I can't remember the name of the player on San Diego State who committed that stupid technical foul. They were going to beat UConn and go to the Elite Eight. UConn won yeah. the national championship that year. That San Diego State team, if if and but that I, was the last time we've seen that San yes, Diego State team, but, but they had Kawhi Leonard. They did. They but did. that team, if they don't, if if that guy does not commit that technical foul, there is zero doubt in my mind that they beat Connecticut that year. 
Would have been huge. They were they were better than UConn. Would have changed would have changed a lot of things. I mean that was that was gigantic. And uh, San Diego State is a good program. UNLV. No one expect them to win that game. But now UNLV. Uh, they got a couple of games this week. Well, actually, only one game this week, and it's a game they should win against San Jose Valentine's State. Valentine's Day. Yeah, and Valentine's Day Tuesday night Bring at your seven to o'clock. Go see Tim Miles. Uh, you know, I may be there. Who knows? I'll go 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 eat some Chick Fil A and watch a little UNLV basketball. But uh, UNLV um, play San Jose State. San Jose State beat them earlier in the year on the road. San Jose State's only won three games on the road this year. This is a must-win game for UNLV. And then Sunday, they head to Boise next Sunday. Uh, we'll talk about that game next week. But um, time to get things going here. We are going to start talking about the Super Bowl and that in a few minutes. Uh, right now, I want to jump into it. I know uh, we are going to be joined on on the show in just a minute here by Bernie Fratto. And I wanted to talk about the Bones and uh, the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, as you know, the deadline is coming up for Derek Carr the day after Valentine's Day. Something has to happen. The only team that's talked to him to this point has been the New Orleans Saints. It's just he poses a problem with his no trade clause and, and, and the contract and uh, just it doesn't want to seem to be absorbed, but UNLV desperately would rather trade him than just let him go on the open market, but I don't think they're going to have a choice. There's no way they're going to retain him and take a $40 million hit. Join now on the show. Uh, super happy to have this guy on. Uh, somebody tweeted to him yesterday, do you ever sleep? And he just kind of put a couple smiley faces. The guy never sleeps. It's Bernie Fratto uh, on Fox Sports Radio. You can hear him every Friday night from 11 to 2 here on the Pacific Coast, as well as uh, Saturday nights from 11 to 3 in the morning. It is the Bernie Fratto Show on Fox Sports Radio National and iHeartRadio. Bernie, thanks for uh, get, getting up early today and joining the show. Appreciate it. Yeah, no problem, man. I was back east this week, so I lost my voice, so we'll power through it. Uh, I, I appreciate it. Bernie. First and foremost, before we get into it, I haven't uh, sent you any messages or anything on it. I was going to wait. I knew you were on the show today, but I want to wish you my deepest condolences for your mother. Uh, really sad. I lost my mom in 2015 and my best friend, my confidence. So uh, condolences, my friend. Thank you very much. Yeah, it was kind of a sudden thing over a 10-day period, but you know, that is life. You move on, you count your blessings. It wasn't fun. No, I'm, and, and, and again, very sorry to hear about that. You can follow Bernie tw- uh, Bernie on Twitter, at Bernie Fratto. And Bernie is also the author, author of The View from the Cheat Seats, a book you have to read. This guy, the greatest storyteller ever. When you're listening to him, they almost sound so surreal, and yet they're completely real, and they're great. And Bernie, always appreciate you joining the show. Just We, we have a segment on the show we do each week, The Bones, where we talk about the Las Vegas Raiders. Going to end that probably after the Super Bowl, bring it back next football season. But, um, you know, the Derek Carr situation here, been talked about for a while, of course, benched the final two games of the season, uh, didn't even show up and uh, in, in place of Jarrett Stidham, but now Der- the Raiders move on from Derek Carr. Two questions for you, Bernie. First, uh, what happens with Derek Carr? Does New Orleans make a move for him, or do you think they just let him go and, uh, as a free agent? And secondly, who do you think is the heir apparent? Yeah, I think the Derek Carr situation, there are actual conversations going on. And what it's my understanding what New Orleans is, is trying to do. They are interested in Carr, but they want to lower the guarantees on the contract. The problem is, uh, you know, is that they've got like three days to do that, and they're running out of time. It's my understanding they've come so far that they already have basically the framework of a Derek Carr trade. But he's got a the ball's kind of in Derek Carr's court because he's got to be the one willing to lower his guarantees for the move to New Orleans, so we'll see what happens over the next 72 hours. You almost wonder if you get the 
the, the impression that Carr won't do that. He won't want to stick it to the Raiders. So uh, it's, it's nothing to watch, but there is genuine interest between the Saints and Carr. Yeah, and I, I don't know if it'll be New Orleans. There's no question Derek Carr will be playing somewhere next year. I said last week that I don't think they're going to be able to make a trade for him before the before the 15th, and I still don't. I don't think this deal will go through with New Orleans. I think that Carr is, uh, I think in his own way, does want to stick it to the Raiders, and you know he kind of showed us that during the Pro Bowl uh, festivities. Uh, Bernie, you know, there's been a lot of talk. Uh, the, the biggest talk probably in Vegas is Jimmy Garoppolo, Aaron Rodgers. Who do you think ends up as as the signal caller next year here in Las Vegas? I honestly don't think it's going to be uh, Aaron Rodgers because if you look at Rodgers' contract, he's due $109 million in the next two years. And there, you know, anybody who acquires Rodgers is also going to have to give up probably some draft capital, things of that nature, in a trade. So I'm really not so sure uh, if it's going to be uh, Aaron Rodgers. I also understand the Jets are absolutely going to make a huge play, and they're trying to make a trade for Rodgers, and they're willing to give up some assets, and they've got some assets to give up. Uh, Jimmy G, I think, is the next factor, certainly because of the Josh McDaniels uh, relationship while they were in New England years ago. But I think it's all a coin flip, Brian. I've recused myself. Everybody was certain that Tom Brady was coming here. I never believed Tom Brady was coming here. Now, it's wrong. I didn't think he'd retire you know, I think what's going to happen, Brian, is that the Super Bowl is played in about a week. Things will get more clear, but there aren't a lot of options for the Raiders when it comes to bringing in a veteran. No, I agree. They, I think they're going to go for somebody in the draft, maybe a later round pick and a, a prospect. But yeah, they, they're going to they're going to go out there, and I, I think it's going to be Jimmy G. I was with you, Bernie. I never was sold that Tom Brady was going to come here. I never drank the Kool Aid. Although I personally said he should retire, and I'm happy that he did for his sake and for all of our sakes that are huge football fans. He retires as the goat. Uh, what what he did throughout his career is almost unprecedented, especially to play to the age that he did. You got to take your hats off. And anybody that says that he's not the goat, well, yeah. I've been paying attention for a long time. I think that, uh, and Bernie, I've got to tell you that listening to your show, I, I didn't get to listen last night. It was too late, and I have this show in the morning. But uh, but I did get to uh, listen to the show all Friday night. Really enjoyed. It. I wanted to hear you last night with Todd Dewey, my former co-host here. Um, so that would have been kind of cool. But you know, Bernie, you inspired this week's fact. This. No, I'm sorry. Spencer's getting ready. Gonna, you inspired this week's fact this. Uh, Listen to the show all Friday night. Really enjoyed it. I wanted to hear you last night with Todd Dewey, my former co-host here. What? I don't know. Uh, Spence? Inspired this week's fact okay. this. Okay, well, we're just going to go on. It's a, it, it, what you inspired, Bernie, and I'll do it. It's, it's fact this. It's part of our show. And it is a fact. Last week, two Tennessee state legislators, uh, Senator yes. London Lamar and Representative Joe Towns Jr., introduced language that would replace the volunteer state's Columbus Day holiday with a new holiday the first Monday after the Super Bowl and would enshrine the change in state law. The holiday proposed by Tennessee House Bill 1463 and Senate Bill 1344 would be formally named Super Bowl Monday. This might sound crazy, but consider this. Over 16 million Americans are expected to skip work the day after the Super Bowl, while 8 million are expected to request the day off in advance. Bernie Fratto, first, should this happen? And second, do you think it will happen? 
Well, remember, it's only for the state of Tennessee. I talked about this Friday night and again last night. And anybody can Google the bill. It's called Tennessee Code Annotated Section 15-1-101. My gut tells me in the state of Tennessee, yes, it's going to happen. Will it ever be a national holiday? I doubt it. Uh, however, I do think in the next three years after the next CBA, what you're going to see is that the NFL expands their, uh, their, their schedule to play almost every single week in Europe, uh, England, Germany, Mexico, etc. Every single team in the NFL will play at least one game, and so we'll institute a second bye. If they institute a second bye, it packs up the Super Bowl one more week. You back up the Super Bowl one more week, guess what? The next day is President's Day. I think that's more likely to happen. Yeah, that's uh, and I and I think so too. I think it's becoming there, there's so much international interest with what they've been doing in London for years, um, and we have seen games in other places as well. I agree with that. I, I I just thought it was really interesting. Again, it was the first time I actually heard it was on your show Friday night. So of course I went and did a bunch of due diligence, and I agree. I think Tennessee is going to institute it in state law. And uh, hey, if you're moving to Tennessee, and I do have one friend that is moving down there, hey, you're going to have a holiday called uh, called Super Bowl. Uh, it's going to be Super Bowl Monday, but. Um, Again, if it falls on President's Day, you had a holiday that day anyways. Bernie, talking about the Super Bowl, um, your thoughts on the game. I mean, you have the two best teams in football playing against each other. You don't usually have that. The number one seeds from both conferences and the two youngest starting quarterbacks ever. The first time in history that uh, each quarterback, each team will start a black quarterback. Uh, a lot of things this year. The first uh, female coach ever to coach in a Super Bowl for the Philadelphia Eagles. And you also have the flyover before the game. The first time ever an all-women's crew will be uh, piloting the flyover before the Super game, a Super Bowl. A lot of cool things, but the game itself uh, looks to be a very close game. I mean, you've got a one-and-a-half-point spread going in today. The Eagles favored. What are your thoughts on the game? Yeah, uh, first of all, let me just start and, uh, and, 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 and blurt out my, my pick. I do like the Eagles. I like the Eagles by six today, but let's back up. First of all, you're right. This is the most evenly matched Super Bowl in 57 years. Both teams were 16-3. and three. Both teams scored 546 points. Both teams were the number one seed in their respective conferences. Both teams have six all-pros. Both teams even have a Kelsey brother. But here's what's interesting. There's always something when you handicap a pronosticate where you can find an edge. You try to find strength over weaknesses. The Eagles were 14-0 this year in games in which they ran for 100 yards or more. They also ran for 39 touchdowns this season most of NFL history, plus Philly's passing offense. It's ninth overall, and their defense is top in the league, while Kansas City's pass defense is only 18th. There's your slight edge. The Eagles' defense, number one in sacks, number four in turnovers, allowed 15, uh, check that, 51 fewer points. Here's the big thing I can't get my mind, or I get my mind around. On defense, all year, Kansas City has featured a four-man front, Two linebackers and heavy nickel. How does that not play into the hands of Philly's rushing attack, who, by the way, just rushed for four touchdowns against the number one defense, the rush defense, uh, the San Francisco 49ers two weeks ago? Plus, Kansas City ranks 31st in red zone defense. Those are just a couple of the reasons. I like Philly. Now, there's a couple of false narratives going around that Philly had a weak schedule. 
Well, in truth, Kansas City had the fourth weakest schedule in the National Football League. People say, well, Philly hasn't been tested. They didn't play the Bills or the Bengals during the regular season. Well, Kansas City did, and they lost to both of them. And in Kansas City's final five games, they played the Texans, the Broncos twice, and the Raiders of four of the five games, one score games except for the final game of the year. So it wasn't exactly murderer's role down the stretch. Finally, if you look at their performance against the playoff teams, the Phillies were seven and one for the playoff teams, and their net yards were plus eight hundred and sixty five. The Chiefs played ten playoff games. They were seven and three, but their net plus yards were only two twenty two. When you add it all up, I like the Eagles for this simple reason. A lot of times you can, you can you can characterize NFL teams or define NFL teams. They're usually either fast and athletic or they're tough and physical. The Eagles are both. Games are won at the line of scrimmage. Barring something crazy, like what I talked about last night where Patrick Mahomes makes one of his patented Jurassic Park plays to save the game, I feel the Eagles are going to beat them up. Yeah, I, I've said the same. I'm going to talk about my pick in a little bit, but defense wins championships. I know it's the oldest adage around. One thing is, Bernie, the experience of Kansas City. I mean, they've played in three. This will be, um, you know, three of the last four Super Bowls. And, uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes, of course, one and one in the two he's played in. But the third one now in four years, that has to help them out with the experience. They've dealt with all of this stuff. You know, you've got a real young guy in Jalen Hurts, a guy that's always been told you can't do something. And he's, like, played his entire career in college and now in the pros with a chip on his shoulder just trying to prove everybody wrong. He's an X-factor. He does so much. He does have a dinged-up shoulder, but then again, Patrick Mahomes has a dinged-up ankle and a high ankle sprain that's only three weeks old, although he looked pretty good two weeks ago against the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, First-time Bernie ever, a first-team All-Pro and a second-team All-Pro. I shouldn't say first-time, six-time that a first-team All-Pro and a second-team All-Pro quarterback have met in the Super Bowl against each other. Believe it or not, the second-team All-Pro quarterback has won the previous five matchups, which bodes well for Jalen Hurts. As far as the quarterbacks themselves go in the matchup between Jalen Hurts and Patrick Mahomes, who do you think has more success in the game? See, that's really a toss-up, guys, uh, because, you know, as much as I love Patrick Mahomes, I've said it a bunch of times on the air, I think he's the best player in football. <clears throat> in eight Super Bowl quarters, he hasn't been great. He's only thrown for more than 58% passing in, in, in one of those eight quarters. Now, I've believed in Jalen Hurts since Alabama, Oklahoma, and as I've watched his evolution in the National Football League. He's 17-1 as a starter here this year, and, and, and or check that, 15-1 as a starter. They don't lose when he starts. The only game they lost was to the uh, commanders. They turned the ball over. Four times a day. Hell, they've only trailed 140 minutes the entire season. It's not going to come down to the quarterbacks. I'm more aware of a few people saying that. It's still going to come down to the line of scrimmage because if Philly starts to run the ball, then they're going to have to, uh, you know, Steve Spagnuolo is going to have to put an extra man in the box, which is going to expose. He's got a young defensive backfield, four rookies, but three rookies out of four of them. They're not all 100% healthy. While they played well in December, I, I, and we, we keep hearing this about, uh, you know, uh, Jalen Hurts is going to be able to throw deep. We don't know that. He's been rested for two and a half weeks, basically. And even if he can't throw deep, you've got those intermediate routes to his star receivers like the Slim Raper and A.J. Brown and Dallas Goddard. 
So I think it's a double-edged sword. I still, I still think it's coming down to the line of scrimmage. That is going to be the the, the key, right? And, and really, and, and and also Super Bowl MVP quarterbacks only six and fifteen straight up in the history of the Super Bowl. Now that may or may not have anything to do with anything today, but I am just of the opinion that the game's going to come down to the trenches more than the quarterbacks, and Philadelphia will prevail. He is Bernie Fratto, host of the Bernie Fratto Show on Fox Sports Radio, National iHeartRadio, every Friday night from 11 to 2 here on the West Coast, and every Saturday night from 11 to 3, seven hours of Bernie every weekend. Try and catch his show. It's phenomenal. And you can also follow Bernie at Bernie Fratto. That's on Twitter. And again, definitely, if you haven't got a chance to, you got to read the book. It's an easy read, and you will enjoy it. You'll be smiling throughout most of it, the view from the cheap seats. Bernie, the one thing is with Kansas City offense, you know, they're ranked second in red zone efficiency. And Andre Reid is very innovative. Patrick Mahone plays to his strengths. And one of the things that he does, especially in the red zone, he throws the ball out of the backfield really well. I think 12 passing TDs to running backs, nine of them to Jarek McKinnon. And Pacheco really has just come into his own the second half of the season, maybe the final third of the season, where this guy has really proven that he is going to be the number one back for Kansas City. So they have this great offensive production, especially when they get in the red zone. One of the greatest X-Factors in the NFL in Travis Kelsey, maybe the greatest tight end of all time. There'd be some argument on that, but uh, he's still playing and still got a lot of gas left in his tank. What does the Eagles do defensively to shut Kansas City down with that tremendous defensive front? And they're pretty good in the secondary, too, but what do they do to stop the Kansas City offense with that red zone efficiency? Pressure Mahomes and stop the run and make the Chiefs one-dimensional. The Chiefs already like to throw 63% of the time, but they're facing Philly's number one defense. So if the Chiefs can't run the ball and they become one-dimensional, again, I think, I think the, 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 you know, the, the, uh, uh, the Eagles are going to put the Chiefs in a vice grip today. Having said all that, and by the way, the Chiefs have built their line better. They only allowed just 26 sacks during the regular season. But the Chiefs, but, but Philly had 50, uh, 70 sacks, 15 more than the next closest team. And these are historical performances. I'm glad you mentioned Travis Kelsey because Travis Kelsey is not only an elite tight end, probably a first ballot Hall of Famer. And when you look at the National Football League right now, you can count on a woodshop teacher's hand how many great tight ends there are. By the way, that leads me to probably, I believe, the best prop bet on the board, Travis Kelsey over Nine and a half targets today. Now, this is targets. Why do I like this play? First of all, during the regular season, he averaged 9.8 targets just in the regular games. He had 17 targets against the Jaguars first round of the playoffs. He had over 10 targets eight times this season. They're going to need to get Kelsey involved early and often. He's, t- he's certainly going to be targeted on third down. He's certainly going to be targeted in the red zone. He is a key, crucial part of their offense. And that's why I like him over 10.5 targets. If they can keep Kelsey in a box, and Kelsey always has a way of being open, well, then it could even be a longer day for Kansas City. But again, these things have to play out. We hope no one gets hurt. You never know about penalties. You never know about oddball plays that can flip a game. 
But I still say it comes down to blocking and tackling, and the Eagles just have them there. They do. Kansas City's defense, not not by any means a slouch. I mean, they were pretty good on the season as far as sacks went regular season. I think they were fourth in the NFL. But again, Eagles were far and away the best, like you said, over 15 sacks in front of the next closest team. And on offense, pretty efficient in yards per game. Top five offense, Bernie. Yards per game, rushing yards per game, and points per game. I'm talking about the Philadelphia Eagles, where everyone talks about this high um, high octane offense of the Kansas City Chiefs. Look at the Eagles offense. Miles Sanders has proved to be one of the better backs in the National Football League. You know, with uh, Smith and Brown, you've got two really good wide receivers, a great tandem there. And Goddard, you mentioned on, on a, I loved your analogy of how many elite tight ends. I'm not going to say Dallas Goddard's an elite tight end, but I will say he is definitely an above average tight end and could get the job done. And then you've got Jalen Hurts, who just got done scoring more rushing touchdowns than any quarterback in the history of the game. 13 during the regular season, has two more now in the postseason. He is also an X-factor and runs as good of an option as any quarterback I've seen in a while, Bernie. And let's not forget Kenneth Gainwell, <clears throat> which is my second favorite prop today. Running back Kenneth Gainwell for Philadelphia, over 11 receiving yards. Kansas City ranks 30th this year in defense when allowing catches and receiving yards to running backs out of the backfield. On the aggregate, their opponents averaged six receptions and 46 yards per backfield. Now, Boston Scott, he hasn't caught a pass since Moby Dick was a minnow. Miles Sanders, he doesn't catch passes out of the backfield. Kenneth Canewell only needs to get 11 yards to get that prop to cash. What's interesting is they put up a prop against San Francisco, a much tougher defense for Kenneth Canewell over Ten and a half yards. He exceeded it by the start of the second quarter. So there's another situation where Philly's got a weapon. There's a good looking prop that's sitting there, right there for you, and it's just another uh, another chess piece on the field for Kansas City to defend. And their defense was reasonably respectable, but it's a 17th ranked defense. I, I uh, again, I still come back to the edge where you look for strength versus weakness, and that is where Philly's offensive line their offense, their rush offense versus Kansas City's defense will ultimately be the edge in the game. Yeah, I would agree with you. And again, in the trenches, uh, the, the games are won in the trenches, and Eagles are better on both sides of the ball in the trenches, and I think that's going to be the difference. I agree with you. I'm going to give my prediction a minute. One more time, Bernie, before you go. Um, I know you gave your prediction already. Eagles, you said by six. What was your final score? Uh, 30 to 24. That's what I've got in today's review journal. Uh, so, And that sort of implies that the game will go over the total. I did not bet the total. I'm really not so sure it's going to go over, but it threw up a score there, 30-24. to 24. I could see Kansas City scrambling at the end and being down and getting a late score. But that's just, you know, that's just grist for the mill, 30-24 to 24 Eagles. No, I like it, Bernie, and I think they're begging you to take the under, throwing 50 points up there when a, a game could be a defensive struggle. And whenever I see that, I always say, man, I, years ago uh, in the Giants-Baltimore uh, Ravens game, everyone was all over the under. I went over big time in that game and won a lot of money because of it. This game, is not you don't have that good of a defense in this game, but I still think uh, this game screams at you to take the under, which always scares the hell out of me, and I'm staying away from that again. Once again, Again, he's Bernie Fratto, the Bernie Fratto Show, every Friday night, 11 to 2, and every Saturday night, 11 to 3 in the morning. And that is on Fox Sports Radio, National iHeartRadio. Follow Bernie on Twitter, at Bernie Fratto. And again, check it out, The View from the Cheap Seats, Bernie Fratto, the author. Bernie, appreciate you taking the time to join the show this morning.
All right, have fun today, guys. Should be a great game. What are you doing for the Super Bowl? Uh, I, I, you know what, Brian, I, 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 at this point, avoid the parties because I really want to lock down on the game. Uh, I've been to three Super Bowls, covered the one in Detroit in 2006 with Pittsburgh and Seattle, and I've reached a point where I enjoy the game, the commercials, and the entire experience when I'm just locked down in a quiet room staring at the TV. So I'll just be rolling solo today. Well, good deal. And that way you won't have to talk and you can get your voice back. Bernie, again, appreciate you. Enjoy yeah, I don't your... know what the hell happened, man. <laughs> I, you know, I might, I might have to start smoking Camel non-filters again or something. <laughs> he is Bernie Fratto. We appreciate you, Bernie. Thanks so much. All right, thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. All right, guys, just a few minutes left to wrap up the show, and I want to get everyone's opinion, of course, on the Super Bowl. And both of you guys, if you haven't checked out uh, the view from the cheap seats yet, you got to see it. Bernie is a, a man of stories, a man of cliches, since Moby Dick was a minnow. I'm going to have to write that one down and find a way to use that in the future. I uh, love having Bernie on the show. And, again, great show on Fox Sports National. Finally got his dues, and I'm so happy for the guy because uh, he is tremendous at what he does, and I've been saying that for years and years. Um, Spencer, I'll start with you in the other room. Tell me your take on the Super Bowl and your prediction. Uh, I'm going to take the Eagles, and I'll take them on an alt spread up to seven points. That's my prediction for the game. Eagles on an alt spread up to seven Well, give me a score. Uh, I'm terrible at over-unders, but I, I could see like a 34-27 type of game you know, for the Eagles there. Gotcha. I, I think I think that is a good call, Spencer. I think um, you know, it's funny. I think sensible money is going on the Eagles, but that Kansas City team and Patrick Mahomes, the experience, Travis Kelsey, people just can't stay away from that. It's too tempting. Mags, where are you going with it? Well, I'm not going to discount the horrific officials in the NFL angle here. The Chiefs were gifted the win against the Bengals, and I'm not saying that. The call on Pat Mahomes was wrong. It was the right call. The problem was the stupid refs in the NFL who always seem to insert themselves in big situations absolutely allowed Joe Burrow to get obliterated, and they didn't throw the flag. The refs and the Kansas City Chiefs are going to beat the Philadelphia Eagles. The NFL wants Pat Mahomes to be their poster boy. They want Pat Mahomes to win this game. Kansas City's going to win this game. I feel sick because Chris Wynn also thinks Kansas City's going to win this game. But <laughs> I just I just see the, the referees inserting themselves and becoming the story, which is so often the case in these games. At some point, a stupid call will go in favor of Kansas City that's wrong, and the Chiefs are going to benefit. Kansas City's going to – you know what? I just say bet the under. Throw it out there. Give me a score. Uh, I'm going to say Kansas City wins 23-16. All right, 23-16, and I'm going to say I'm going to stick with it. Like I said earlier, defense wins championships. 68 sacks on the season. Add add eight more in the postseason. This defense is relentless. They didn't miss anything. They One of their top defensive linemen goes down, and what happens? They go out and get the Dominican Sue in Week 10, and he, he is playing with the biggest chip on his shoulder he's ever had, wanting that second Super Bowl uh, ring. Of course, he got one with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers the year Tom Brady won it a few years ago, but um, this defense of the Philadelphia 
Philadelphia Eagles is no joke. Are they one of the most elite defenses of all time? I can't say that, but look at the amount of sacks. We had four guys in double-digit sacks. That's never happened before. Um, watch out for this team. And again, the defense, the offense of the Philadelphia Eagles, very underrated. When I say underrated, nobody's talking about the weapons that this team has. And Miles Sanders, Bernie talked about the other running back. And you've got two great wide receivers, Dallas Goddard, and of course Jalen Hurts, man, a guy that is able to put the ball in the end zone, either with his feet or with his legs. He's that good. I say final score, I've got Eagles 28, Kansas City Chiefs 27. Don't hate me, and I love that prop bet. Juju Smith-Juster, 18-1 to to score the first touchdown. I like anything over 15-1 to is great. Listen, we're out of time. I want to thank Bernie Fratto, Chris Magnum Chapman, and, of course, the man that makes things work in the green room, Spencer, the Wiz Ostrowski. I'm Brian Feldman. This is Out of Line. We'll be back next week with Mike Jones to break down the Super Bowl that was, that is today, in a few hours. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.